Hey guys, today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. All you have to do is go to audibletrial.com slash bradybros and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a free book that comes with the free 30-day membership and you can start listening right away. It's that easy. Once again, that's audibletrial, A-U-D-I-B-L-E-T-R-I-A-L.com slash bradybros. Hello and welcome to the Brady Bros Boston Sports Podcast, where we cover everything in the Boston sports world. My name is James Brady, and alongside me, my brother Nicholas. Hello, everybody. Today is Monday, January 20th, and this is episode 42, and oh my goodness, do we have stuff to talk about. But first, intro music. All right, and we are going to start off this show in the MLB with the Red Sox because the MLB is falling apart right now. This last week has just been the craziest week. Twitter's been blowing up. Everything's going down. Nicholas, if you want to start us off just talking about some of this crazy stuff that's gone down. Okay, I want to start off by saying, and this could, not this could, this is very well, this is very possibly an overreaction that I had during the week. But it got to the point, like, so last week, it was on Monday, it came out that the Astros had confirmed cheated or whatever, uh, and that their managers were at fault, they released their managers. And then each day after that, so Tuesday, something else came out, Wednesday, something else came out, Thursday, something else came out, I believe, is was it Thursday that the Red Sox agreed to part ways with Cora? It was either it was, it was either Wednesday or Thursday. I mean, it was pretty quick right after like everything started going down. Spoiler alert, because I don't want to talk about that yet. But it got to like Thursday, where each day something big had come out, right? And I was literally in my head, like, "Are we gonna watch baseball next year?" Like, I don't know what's gonna happen. Like, the MLB was literally falling apart all week. Yeah, I think I do agree. That's probably a bit of an overreaction, but it did feel like that where. I was sitting on Twitter. There was probably a day or two where I would just sit on Twitter. And as I'm scrolling through old stuff of like, oh, the Astros, you know, they parted ways with their manager. Uh, all this crazy stuff's coming out. Just more and more stuff started coming out later. And I think basically after the Astros parted away with their managers, the next biggest thing was all these videos coming out of little kind of you could see an imprint in the jersey of i forget exactly who it was i believe it was uh altuve where he had this little thing that kind of looked like he had something sticking out from under his jersey as well as a video of him yelling to his teammates after hitting a walk-off home run don't rip my jersey don't rip my jersey and then him immediately changing before celebrating with his team after hitting a walk-off home run to go to the world series yeah so i think uh, we can get into that more. I just want to back up and like be a hundred percent honest. So we're gonna take you guys through what is a hundred percent confirmed happened, and then we're gonna take you through like what is very possibly happened, but has not been confirmed or justified by the MLB yet. So to start off at the beginning of the week, 
Astros are found to be guilty of cheating in the, the 2017 season. They part ways with their manager and GM. After that, uh, as many of you who listen to this know, if you're a Boston Red Sox fan, the Red Sox then parted ways with Alex Cora because he was a part of that coaching staff. And there was actually a statement that came out, I forget who it was from, that it was mostly players involved except for, with the exception of Cora, like he was one of the only coaches involved. So that wasn't a great look. And the Red Sox ended up parting ways with him. He still has not been punished yet. The MLB or the MLB punished the Astros with loss of first and second round picks, $5 million fine, and a one-year suspension for the Astros head coach and GM, whose names I cannot remember right now. I apologize. And then lastly, the last thing that has happened, the Mets also parted away with Carlos Beltran. Was that their manager's name? Yes. And I, I kind of forget why they did that. Was he on the team or he whatever? He was on the 2017 Astros team, yep. Okay. So that basically concludes everything that like the MLB has actually confirmed. So stuff like the, the buzzers are all kind of still up in the air. But, it, I mean, going by Twitter, which is take it for what you want, take it with a grain of salt for sure. But the evidence does look pretty compelling, but nothing like the MLB hasn't released a statement or an investigation of any kind. So we'll just kind of have to wait and see how this one pans out. That being said, I believe the Red, the Red Sox were accused of cheating during the 2018 season, and nothing that has not been confirmed yet either. Like, well, they did get they were stealing signs, but not in the same way that the Astros were doing it. But that happened last year. That's like old news, I guess. Yeah. So basically, they they've been like accused of it, but the the MLB has not placed any punishments on them. So. Like, the, they haven't been fined. They haven't had anything revoked from them. So we'll just kind of have to – I think they're going to get investigated, but we'll just kind of have to see how it goes. Like, I don't really know what will come of it, what they'll find out. I'm hoping that it's nothing really going on, but you never really know. Yeah, I mean, after what the Astros did, it looks kind of like anything is possible, and it really sucks that Cora was – or appears to be kind of central in both allegations and both – uh, situations, which is not great, makes me understand why the Red Sox need to part ways with them. That's just a bad look for the for the team and the organization in general. There was a lot of people that didn't want Cora gone, though. Like they thought it was okay, even though he was like he got confirmed to doing this on the Astros, but I don't think he's been confirmed that this was happening on the Red Sox type of thing. Yeah, I see it from both views. Like as a manager, everything else aside, I didn't want him to leave, but. When you look at it, it makes sense why you have to part ways with them. Like, you just can't have that reputation for your organization. It's not a good look, and you have to you have to part ways with them. I mean, it sucks, but there's really no other way to go about it. So this brings up the topic of punishment now. Uh, the Astros were, you know, punished, and those managers and uh, the manager and GM got suspended for a year, as I stated earlier. What does this mean for Cora, who was kind of – uh, behind both sets of allegations and everything. I don't really know, because obviously the MLB dealt their punishment to the Astros, and Cora was in no way punished by that. So I don't really know. If something comes out uh, with the Red Sox, obviously it'll probably be the same thing as suspension. Uh, the $5 million fine is actually the most the MLB can fine a team despite it being, like, nothing compared to what, first of all, the players make, and second of all, the organization makes. Okay, so the fine is negligible. I mean, it's negligible, but it's it's the most the MLB can do. 
I'm hoping we don't see that. I'm hoping we don't see the loss of draft picks because that's a big deal, losing your first and second round draft picks for both 2020 and 2021 for the Astros. So it's not a great look on that front. But, I mean, I think if anything comes out with the Red Sox, they will take the same course of action punishing Cora. But I guess if nothing, uh, if they find nothing with the Red Sox and he wasn't technically punished in the Astros investigation, there's nothing they can really do. We'll just have to wait and see. That brings us up to the topic of finally just a Red Sox topic is who do you want to see as the next manager of the Red Sox? Um, I honestly don't know. I don't know that much about like who's available as managers, what a, what a great manager looks like. A couple of things I've heard thrown around mostly on Twitter. Uh, Dustin Pedroia, which he's still playing, so that wouldn't really work. But if for He'll some just be reason... the LeBron of the MLB. Yeah, but if for some reason that did come up, I wouldn't mind Dustin Pedroia managing. He's a guy that it's kind of similar to Cora. Like he used to, or he played for the team. Uh, the guys really respect him, especially in like the clubhouse and everything. So could be a good fit, although he's still playing, so that doesn't really work out. Uh, I've heard a couple other names turn around, and then mostly people are just making jokes of it. So saying random people. Some like people on, on Twitter, yeah, Wally, uh, Griff Holt was another one that came up on Twitter. So as much as we'd love to see it, not quite practical. So uh, I don't really know. Like I said, I don't know too much about who's available as managers, who the Red Sox are looking to bring in, who they have in the organization already. But Yeah, I, I think we'll they're looking out. internally from what I've seen so far. I feel like I saw a news thing about that, that they're going to look internally first. But I couldn't tell you who's there, so it'll be a mystery to me. And kind of the last thing that's come out in all of this is an ex-Angels third base coach's son said that Mike Trout is on HGH and the MLB knows about it. So this was this almost was just another drop in the bucket at the at, you know after the week we had last week of everything coming out. But yeah, so Trout being on HGH not a good thing, but apparently it's for like a thyroid problem, which is one of those things where in major league sports you just kind of question it. You don't really know if it's real or not, or if it's just a way to kind of get around rules, use things that might give you a leg up. But what's your take on all of this? Yeah, so these allegations against Mike Trout, not not even like any percent confirmed. It's just crazy to see like what came out in a week where so much stuff went down that every day is something new. And it wasn't even about the managers like here you have saying Trout is on HGH for supposedly thyroid issues, supposedly the MLB knows. Again... I haven't really seen anything since that, so I don't know that it's really true at all. It's just interesting to see people's different takes on things. That being said, we can get out of the Red Sox and the MLB. It has been uh, an absolute, I don't even, dumpster fire of a week for the MLB. But that being said, we can roll right into the Celtics, uh, who people are kind of attacking at the moment, I would say. I don't know. The Celtics on a bit of a losing streak. I think three games, uh, three-game losing streak right now. They've bumped down to fourth in the Eastern Conference. Uh, not doing great right now. Uh, just struggling to get wins. And even against just not great teams, they've dropped games to uh, the Detroit Pistons, who I don't think are that good. They did lose to Milwaukee, who's obviously the best team in the NBA right now. But they also drop a game to the Phoenix Suns, who aren't that great. They got to show up big. They got a game tonight against the LA Lakers. And I'm pretty sure it's one of those games that at the beginning of the season, both you and I said would be an interesting 
uh, game to watch, a good matchup against an L.A. team that everyone's losing their mind over and LeBron and this and that. I'd really like to see the Celtics win this one just to kind of shut everyone up for a little bit because they've been talking a lot of trash on the Celtics for losing three games. It's going to happen and it's going to be, I'm going to say the same thing we kind of talked about with the Bruins is like, I'd rather them lose a couple of games in a row here as opposed to the playoffs where if you lose three or four in a row, that's it. You're done. Yeah. What gets me is that people like after a bad week or even one bad game, people are calling for trade Hayward, trade Tatum, fire Stevens. Like, and I, we, we talked about this yesterday. It was, we'll get into more with the Bruins because it was after the Bruins game. People on Twitter were pissing me off. And I guess I just shouldn't go on the internet after a loss uh, if I don't want to get angry. But, like, to me, that's not being a fan. Like, just because we had a bad game or a bad week, you can't just bail on the team. And I get that it's been, like, an up-and-down season again. But I think there's vastly more good than bad this season. The team is clicking. Players are playing so much better. So the fact that people want changes after you know even the last two weeks is is utterly ridiculous to me yeah i do agree it's kind of an overreaction but i think that's exactly what it is it's just like a spur of the moment and it might even be like a sarcastic thing i feel like twitter you really can't take anything uh to be too serious on twitter despite the whole mlb section of this podcast being based around what happened on twitter but (laughs) Uh, like I said, we're playing the Lakers tonight as we are recording this. What else do we have coming up? We have a game against the Memphis Grizzlies on Wednesday, Orlando on Friday, the Pelicans on Sunday the 26th. So I'm hoping that will kind of be a couple of worse teams. The Celtics can get their legs back under them, kind of get back into the swing of things. Like you said, I completely agree that players are playing better than they ever have. Jalen Brown having an incredible season. Gordon Hayward got off to a really good start this season. Has kind of slowed down a little bit. And Marcus Smart had the game of his career the other night, hitting 11 three-pointers, which is a franchise record. And tied for fourth in the NBA all-time, I think, for threes in a game. You also have to remember in the last couple of weeks, Jalen, uh, not Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum had his career-high 41 points at one point, right? I think. Yes. Kem- Kemba dropped 40 the other night, too. So, like... Guys are still having outstanding games. We're just not getting that plus one in the win column, which I think is frustrating a lot of people. Yeah, but we can move forward. Uh, we've the the results for the third round of All Star voting have come out, and in the front court we got at number five Jason Tatum, and at number six Taco Fall. There's a really big gap between the five and six with Tatum having 1.6 million votes and Taco Fall having 750,000. But also after that, we got uh, Gordon Hayward at eighth in the front court. And then for the guards, we have Kemba Walker at three and Jalen Brown at seven. So hopefully we'll get a good number of Celtics representatives for the All-Star game Sunday, February 16th. So we got about another month before the All-Star game. But hoping that we'll see, like I said, a good number of Celtics playing in that game. Yeah, I mean, you got to talk about Kemba Walker here, closing that gap on Kyrie, now only twenty less than 20,000 votes behind him. Uh, in my opinion, vastly deserves that number two spot over Kyrie, who has barely played. And Kyrie, who is now calling out players by name on his, I think, Instagram or something, uh, and what needs to change for the team. So, you know, just... Extra glad to be rid of him. 
you know, it surprised me that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum aren't, I don't want to say higher, but have more votes, kind of. I mean, Jason Tatum, 1.6 million votes, obviously a lot, but to me, he should be up there with, like, is Pascal Siakam, like, played that well? And I know, like, Pascal Jimmy Siakam's Bo- insane. Okay, well, do you know what I'm saying? I We're going to see some Celtics in the All-Star game. I think it's just a question of how many. Uh, hopefully all of them. That'd be great. Hopefully Taco Fall. I know the world's rooting for that one. I would love to see Taco Fall in this All-Star game. Uh, but we've been over that in detail. Again, I don't know how Jalen Brown isn't more votes or whatever. The way those two are playing this year is crazy. But I think that pretty much wraps up basketball, James, unless you have anything else to add. No, I don't. And we will transition over to the Boston Bruins, who have also kind of had a little bit of a rough patch recently. Uh, just dropping a lot of games that they shouldn't blowing a couple of three-goal leads in the last week. It hasn't been a great look, but uh, Nicholas, if you want to kind of get into some of that. Yeah, I think I've watched... uh, I didn't watch the Blue Jackets game, which is the one they got shut out 3-0, but the other three I did. Or maybe not the first three-goal lead. Was that the Islanders they lost to, I think? No, they lost to the Flyers. The Flyers, that's who they blew the goal. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, Oh, that's right. They were up 5-2. Uh, they let the Flyers come back into the game, tie the game, and then they went to a shootout, which we still haven't won. I think that brings us to what zero and eight, zero and seven. Something you could ridiculous. if you could just double check that. Yeah, I'll check it right now. Uh, and then you know, after blowing that lead, to go immediately turn around and get shut out three to zero. Not a great look. Uh, and then they kind of brought it back a little bit. You know, a dominant four to one win against the Pittsburgh Penguins in the Garden. Uh, kind of thought. You know, here they're back. Uh, it was a it was a very good game. It was three one until the end. Brad Marchand got an empty netter at the end to make it four to one, and that was kind of a game that was just all Bruins. Like the Penguins didn't really have their moment except for the one goal. And then back to back games with the Penguins. This was yesterday. Uh, they blew another three goal lead. They were up three to zero in the first period. They were up two nothing in the first minute or two minutes of the game. Shreve Bergeron scored like. 11 or 12 seconds in or something ridiculous. Yeah, 11 uh, seconds in. And then to turn around and lose it 4-3 uh, to three by the end of the game with the Penguins getting a late third-period goal to put them ahead. And I I don't know. So they, they start the game 3-0. I'm going to talk about this one in particular because it's freshest in the mind at the moment. But to start the game 3-0 and then... I think where it started to go downhill, and this is, might kind of sound ridiculous, is that the, right at the end of the first period, instead of going into the first intermission 3-0, they went in 3-1. They allowed a late goal, which was a great play by the Penguins, to be fair. But allowing that late goal, I think, really turned the tide. So another example where kind of first period was all Bruins, the rest of the game, all Penguins. And they just kind of fought their way back throughout the game, getting early second period goal to make it 3-2. And then you've got you know, 30 minutes of hockey to get one more and tie it up, and they ended up getting two more. Not a great look for the Bruins. James, if you want to kind of talk about Brad Marchand hasn't played the best as of late, actually botching one of the penalty shots in the shootout to and make us lose. Didn't even get the shot. He just kind of nicked the puck, which says on the rules, if you touch the puck, that's, that's your shot. If you want to take us through some other stuff that has gone down there. Yeah, so the biggest one being, like you said, the missed puck on a penalty shot. So this is... In the Flyers game, after the Flyers had scored, we were shooting second, so this would have been a chance to, you know, kind of tie it up and keep the game going. 
So Brad Marchand comes up really fast to the puck and just grazes the top of it with his stick uh, and moves the puck just a little bit, but enough to alert the refs, and that was game right there. So if you touch the puck, that's it. So he, he skated away, and the, the penalty shot was over, and that's how they lost. And then after that, the, he had a one-on-one break where he pulled the puck back to his left and then just missed it, trying to bring it back into the, towards the center, just one-on-one with the goalie, again, just missing a good opportunity to score. And I think he's kind of breaking out of that slump. We saw a late empty netter that basically Pasternak just passed him the puck to let him get this empty netter instead of taking it for himself. Hopefully kind of getting that momentum, getting that confidence back just a little bit. But yeah, like you said, it, it's been a rough week for him. He's taken to social media a lot to let people know not to be worried. He posted a picture of him with the Stanley Cup saying all this stuff, kind of roasting some people on social media who said he was bad or whatever for missing these shots. But I think he'll get back in the swing of things and it's easy to kind of get back that momentum when you're playing on a top line that also consists of Patrice Bergeron and then, like you said, the best forward in hockey, David Pasternak. Yeah, so just to be clear, the Boston Bruins are 0-7 in shootouts. Just looked that up, so I was one game off. But yeah, he did. Marchand did look a little shaky again yesterday against the Penguins. Uh, but then again, in the last two periods of the game, everyone looked shaky. I don't know if this is, again, like another overreaction. This is just going to be an episode filled with us throwing around ridiculous ideas. <laughs> but I really want Rask back in net. Oh, me as well. But, I mean, I don't think he can be because he got a concussion like a week on a, ago. On a, on a kind on of a, a cheap, cheap shot play, yeah. Yeah, but I think, I, I don't know. I think just we talk about such this dynamic duo of goalies in uh, or for the Bruins, rather. And I think we are now just seeing where, like, it's kind of not an option because you have to go with Locke. How much Rask really, really is, I think, the main goalie on this team. And I could be completely wrong. The same thing could have happened with Rask in Netsy's last three or four games. But I just have this feeling that, you know, maybe some different outcomes uh, of these games if Rask is in net. I have no idea where he's at in the rehab process. They haven't really said anything about it, to my knowledge. No, they haven't really mentioned, like, a, when they think he'll be back. But I do, I do agree that I'd like to see Rask back in net. I also think it's tough on, if you look at the rest of the, the season before this, you're seeing like one or two nights in a row, maybe one of the goalies is in net, then it switches, whereas Halak's had to play the last like four or five games. So definitely a little more fatigued, a little more than he's been expected to do in terms of um, production this season. So I think that might have to do with part of it. But also, yeah, I think part of what makes this you know, duo so dynamic is the fact that we can choose between goalies. Not that we have one or the other. It's it can be one guy one night, one guy the next night, and it just does it doesn't seem to make a difference. But we're kind of seeing that catch up with us a little bit more here later in the season. Yeah, and I think like again, not to like play down Halak's performance or anything. He has played very well. But for example, last night the Penguins scored or yesterday afternoon, I guess they scored four goals on twenty two shots. Yeah, that's it's not, a, it's not a save great. percentage of 0.818. So you need, like, I feel like to be successful in such a dominant goalie like Rask is, you need that 0.900 at least save percentage. And, I mean, you're, you're talking the difference there is one movement or one play, and that's a different outcome of the game. And I know it's unrealistic and unfair kind of to expect. But, again, I think just showing why... Bruce Cassidy loves to switch between his two goalies. 
Yeah, and I think that'll pretty much wrap up the Bruins section of this podcast. We'll move on to kind of the Patriots, more so the NFL in general, which if all of the things that were going on in the MLB didn't happen this week, it would have been the NFL that has gotten all the buzz. So as of yesterday, Sunday, we found out which two teams will be going to the Super Bowl, being the Chiefs and the Niners. So we can talk about that in a bit. But in terms of actual Patriots news, the only thing that's really happened is Stephon Gilmore is still looking like a solid defensive player of the year candidate. And I got his stats here. So uh, he was 33 for 80, meaning that the receivers caught 33 of the 80 passes targeting him, allowing 456 yards. He scored two defensive touchdowns on six interceptions, recorded 16 passes broken up, and committed five penalties. But that's just an incredible stat line. I believe he only allowed one touchdown. To the receivers he was guarding all season long he returned a third of his interceptions for touchdowns which is just insane yeah like i realized it was only two touchdowns but like if you're a corner like if you get one touchdown a year that's huge yeah and he hadn't scored a pick six until this year and he got two of them and he got two yeah i mean i don't know who the other candidates are but i would agree with you he's he's 110 percent in the discussion Oh, for sure. And I, I there has been several things where basically, like, coaches from other teams are saying, like, yeah, this is this is your guy for defensive player of the year. I don't know who does the voting on that stuff, but, I mean, you got to think that this is, like, the most solid overall defensive performance. It was talked about all season long. The only really falter in this being his Week 17 matchup against the Dolphins kind of sucked. Yeah, where the yeah, well, we don't need to reuse that. But I mean, other than that, he had an incredible season. Oh, abs- a career season and I can't wait to see him do it again. I mean, I'm already thinking about the next Patriots game. Regardless, uh what do you want to do next? Should we go with past Patriots? Should we go with future Patriots? Uh What do you want to do? We can go with some past Patriots. Uh All Antonio right. Brown. The saga continues just when you think he can't get any more ridiculous. Uh, this Now, I need to preface this with, like, because I'm probably going to laugh at this, and that's not okay. That's not, like, accept- like socially acceptable. Because it is very clear to me now that Antonio Brown has some sort of, uh, and I don't, like, I'm going to be blunt. He has some sort of mental issue going on. Like, it's more than just him being crazy at this point. I think, like, there's a screw loose or something. Because this past week, he gets dropped by both his agent and his attorney until he... And this is a direct quote from one of them, both of them, I'm not really sure. But until he, quote, seeks help, uh, end quote, there is there's clearly something bigger going on here. But, I mean, did you see that video with the police on Twitter? No, you can't, you can't I, I, I do that. a little bit of it, but yeah. You can't so he, do that. I think the, the background and context for that was he was donating gifts, right? And then he started yelling at police, so they returned all of like his donations or something. I um, don't, I forget what it was. I guess I didn't see like the whole in context thing, but I was just, it was just a video on Twitter uh, of his like Instagram live stream that he was doing. And there was someone getting escorted out of his neighborhood across the street from his house, or so, I don't know where he was. I assume across the street from his house, getting escorted out with a bunch of police guards. And basically, he was just heckling the police in a not a not nice way. I don't want to say it's illegal because you can, you know, the whole freedom of speech thing. You can say what you want, but he is not being 
He's not carrying himself how he should. Now, and speaking of not carrying himself how he should, he then took to Twitter, as he almost always has this entire season, basically saying something about fighting, uh, or, or posted something, Logan Paul responded, and basically the two of them both said we, that they would fight each other. So now there's this big theory that Antonio Brown is going to fight Logan Paul, which is a crossover I never expected to happen. And just one of these things where I just hope it doesn't go through because Antonio Brown doesn't, or Logan Paul too, doesn't need this attention. And going back to what you said earlier, I think like we they need to address the issues that Antonio Brown clearly has. Those need to get dealt with, and I think getting into all this drama and all this attention is not helping anything. No, it's definitely not a good look, especially if it, I think he's pretty much dashed any hopes of ever playing in the NFL again. No, oh, completely. Uh, this is it has not been a great year for him. I get it; he's been through the ringers. Stuff hasn't gone his way, but you have to like hold yourself to a certain standard. That being said. You gotta think he'd kick Logan Paul's ass, right? I would hope so, but you never. I mean, he's insane. (laughs) He's insane. Moving away from Antonio Brown into other football players that really haven't carried themselves the best, Odell Beckham Jr. has gotten a lot of attention this week after LSU won the National College Football Championship. He was seen handing out money to players on the field basically trying to run the celebration for a team that he isn't on, and then he slapped a police officer's butt, and there was a warrant out for his arrest. Okay, a couple of things here. One, I've stated this before, I'll state it again. Not a huge Odell Beckham Jr. fan. Actually not a fan at all. I think he's overhyped. Take that as you will. Uh, Him handing money out after the game on the field in front of cameras, hilarious. Basically just a giant middle finger to the NCAA, like, about the whole paying the athletes thing. Uh, But then, yeah, him, like, celebrating with the team. Like, I get it. Like, be happy for them and, like, congratulate them. But then, like, know your place kind of thing. Don't go into the locker room and try to run the celebration. And I get that he, like, shouldn't have, like, slapped the cop on the butt. But, like, the fact that there was a warrant out is also insanely ridiculous to me. Yeah, it seemed like a bit of, like, an overreaction, but we would only say that because, like, he's a football player. You'd think of him on this high side. It's like, if you just went up to a police officer, if anyone else on the street went up to a police officer and, like, slapped them, you you don't expect them to get away. But basically, he does get away because of this clout that he has. Uh, The officer chose not to press charges. But it's just the word clout on our podcast. It just becomes, like, the funniest headline that... He almost was arrested for slapping a police officer's butt. It's ridiculous because, first of all, who would do that? But second of all, getting arrested for that seems kind of weird. But like I said, if it's anyone else, I feel like this is no discussion. Like you're saying outside of like an athlete? Outside of like an athlete or a public figure, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you do have a point there. Uh, that being said, did you watch the LSU? Well, who was it? Clemson? Clemson, yeah. Did you any anything about that? I know we're like supposed to do like NFL, but that's I, a pretty big football game. Maybe part of the first half, and I just didn't care, so I just okay, turned. Okay, yeah, off. me neither. Uh, you did mention Thaddeus Moss. Has we have we mentioned Thaddeus Moss earlier? We have not. Okay, uh, if you want to take us through that, because you just wrote in here, draft Thaddeus Moss. Yeah. So this is my take. I don't really know how many other people agree with it, but 
Thaddeus Moss uh, was a senior, or technically is still a senior at LSU, won the national championship, had a pretty big game. I think he had one or two touchdowns, uh, and is the son of Randy Moss. And instantly I saw Moss, I saw tight end, and boom, drafted the Patriots. What do we need? Just someone with Moss, with that family, bring them back because we know what Randy Moss did for the Patriots. Second of all, we don't have a good tight end. So this solves both of our problems. Draft Thaddeus Moss. That's all I'm really going to say. I'm not going to go too deep into it because I haven't watched or basically known that he's existed before the national championship and seeing him on TV. But I think we should draft him. Me too. Never heard of the guy before. I'm all in. All in on Thaddeus Moss for the 2020 draft. Yeah. Uh, where do we want to go from here? The Patriots, uh, before we get into like the Super Bowl and the championship games, do you want to go through the... The Patriots were quite injured this season. We kind of found out throughout the, I guess, year and like again this past week. Yeah. So this is not even all of the injuries. This is just kind of some bigger names that went down throughout the season. So... This came out, I didn't know about this, this came out recently. Uh, Benjamin Watson played through a torn Achilles. Pretty big injury there. Uh, this is just going to sound like us making excuses. Yeah, but, but this is just to bring to light everyone saying, you know, the Patriots had a bad season. Like, this has a little bit of explanation to do uh, with why that may have been the reason. Uh, Edelman played through knee and shoulder injuries, both of which are requiring surgery the, uh, this offseason. James Devlin, the lead fullback. Played only two games before being out for the rest of the season with a neck injury. Uh, David Andrews, a big part of our uh, offensive line, missed the entire season with a blood clot in his lungs. Isaiah Wynn, uh, once again, another part of our offensive line, played in only half of the regular season games, missing eight with a toe injury. Nikhil Do you Hay- know if he... Sorry, didn't mean to cut. Do you know if uh, Isaiah Wynn played in the Tennessee game? I believe he did. Okay, I was just wondering. Uh, Nikhil Harry didn't play until week 11, missing the beginning of the season with an ankle injury. And you quickly saw that Nikhil Harry was basically like a second or third option on offense. He looks really good. I'm really excited to see him next season and see what he can do if he plays the entire season. But talk about the talent that we saw from him in a very small sample size of four or five games towards the end of the season. And we missed him for the first 10. Yeah, I think, I think to him especially, and I don't mean to like go off on a tangent here, but I think it's good. He like kind of like dipped his toe in the water, if you will. He knows kind of what to expect now at the NFL level. He can take that, go back with the trainer, get back with the team over the offseason, train, and I think he will be a pretty valuable asset come next year or even looking into the future, you know, the year after as he uh, gains some confidence and just some experience in the league. Yeah, I think that um, he will definitely be a big weapon on this offense come come next year. But yeah, like I said, those are basically just some of the main players. There were many more smaller injuries along the way, but just to kind of shed some light onto the the problems health-wise the Patriots dealt with throughout this entire season. All right, that's uh, that's kind of the Patriots. We'll back it up here, go whole NFL, because yesterday was Championship Sunday. So we had the AFC and NFC Championships. We had the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> Ending, I guess, what you would call kind of a Cinderella story in the Tennessee Titans, uh, 31-17, 34-17? I don't know the exact score. Uh, can you tell the, I did not watch the game? The Titans <laughs> made it close at the end. That's what I can tell you. Oh, no, it was it was 34 or 35-24 or something. It was like an 11-point game. Yep, 
I remember because I watched the end of it. And I didn't think Mike Rabel handled the end of that game very well, my personal opinion, whatever. Uh, and then you had the San Francisco 49ers, uh, the golden boy Jimmy G taking down Aaron Rodgers and the NFL referees. So, yeah, I mean, your takeaways from the weekend? Um, I think we just saw again how dynamic this Chiefs offense was. The tight, it was all Titans in the first quarter of this game. They had a like a nine and a half minute drive on their second drive of the game, putting up seven. But Derrick Henry basically ran the show in the first quarter and part of the second quarter. But the Chiefs were matching it with they'd go down and score in two minutes. So it didn't matter that they were losing the time of possession battle for the first half. They were able to turn around and score so quickly that it didn't matter. And then basically, they just stopped Derrick Henry. They did the one thing they needed to do, and that was force the Titans to pass the ball. And when you're looking at the Titans' offense and receiving core versus the Chiefs, you got to pick Chiefs every single time. And the Chiefs forced the Titans to pass. They did okay, but they didn't win the football game. Yeah, and I think here is just an example of, you know, Ryan Tannehill, good quarterback. He's not at that elite status yet where he can put together, you know, those those drives that you 100% need at the end of a game or just within a game. He, he hasn't put together, like, that game-saving drive or whatever. And I think, you know, he's he's getting there, but, you know, the Chiefs absolutely exposed him and, and this offense that, you know, Derrick Henry was kind of the reason they were here. Yeah, and I mean, you can't use this to take away from what Derrick Henry has done, even this oh, postseason and this not. season in general. But bouncing it over to the NFC, the I mean, it was all 49ers in the first half of this game. Heading into the half, I believe it was 27-0, to zero, which was exactly how I wanted this game to go. I don't really like Aaron Rodgers. I don't believe this Packers team... Uh, is as good as they looked to be throughout the season, 13-3. and three. I feel like that was kind of a false representation of how they played. The refs dealing a lot of them, uh, a lot of their wins to them. But the, the this is the thing. The, the Packers made it close. Closer than it should have been, at least. The game ending, I believe, 37-20. to 20. That sounds right. I can double-check that. But yeah, so ending, uh, I mean, not as close. Uh, closer than you'd think it would be heading into the half 27-0. Uh, Raheem Mostert, which is a name most people might not have even heard of, uh, one of the three just insanely good running backs on this 49ers team, had an absolute day running 29 times for 220 yards and four touchdowns. Absolutely insane. And basically making it so Jimmy Garoppolo didn't have to do anything. Yeah, you're correct. 37-20. to 20. And yeah, I do. We know how many times Jimmy Jimmy Garoppolo passed. Do we know what is? Uh, I I'll can look, look up that up right now. You go. okay? Yeah, I mean, kind of. I I don't want to say kind of the way you expected this game to go because the Packers were in the NFC Championship game. You can't talk that down uh, as much as some people I think would probably want to and would. But exactly like you said, the way you wanted this to go, the way I wanted this to go, I'm all in on the 49ers uh, for the Super Bowl, at least. I do not want to see the Chiefs win it for various reasons that we really don't need to get into. No. Because uh, they're kind of dumb, I'm not going to lie. But I'm all in on the 49ers and Jimmy Garoppolo. And I hope, you know, I hope it's not like a run, a run-heavy game where I'd love to see like this quarterback. Because you have two very good quarterbacks. There's no disputing that so if we could see kind of it like 
the NFL is hoping for just an absolute shootout of a game. I guarantee it. Oh, yeah, and you'll love this. Jimmy Garoppolo was 6-for-8 passing. You're lying. I saw that on... 6-for-8 passing with 77 yards. I saw that somewhere, and I thought that was made up. Me as well. I didn't believe it. So him literally doing nothing in this NFC Championship game, but I don't think you're going to see that with the chiefs i think the chiefs defense if they, i mean they stopped derrick henry the best rusher in this league this season and it's well known that the packers were pretty bad against the run so i mean if you can even have um, the, a similar game rushing you're gonna play very well but when you have raheem mostert tevin coleman and matt burita all in the backfield all of them just options I've talked about this a couple of times with friends, maybe with you. The Niners can just pick a different running back on each game and just see who's doing the best, and that's who they go with. They'll run a couple of times with each guy, but whoever is doing the best, they'll just keep him in the game and they let him do his thing. Yeah, and I think this just proves how good and how good this 49ers offense is. I would expect a very pass-heavy game because we know the Chiefs can put up points, and I mean we know the 49ers can put up points too. Like I said, I'm expecting a quarterback shootout. I expect Mahomes to go off, probably throw for you know three or four more touchdowns, and I'd be very surprised if Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers didn't match that. And we had a game that ended with a we had like a like the AFC Championship last year against the Chiefs and Patriots, but that for a Super Bowl kind of thing. Okay, I mean, yeah. We can probably get into that a little bit more next week. We'll have all of next week just to talk about the Pro Bowl. Ooh, and uh, basically just previewing the That's still a thing. Super Bowl. Because by the two two weeks from now, if we're recording on the same day, the Super Bowl will have already happened. So we can kind of get into that more. Our predictions, what we think is going to go down, how the, you know, the keys of the game. We will kind of stray outside of the Patriots just because the Super Bowl is really big and important despite the Patriots not being in it. So we will cover it a little bit more. But I think that pretty much wraps it up for football. We got the Super Bowl in a couple of weeks. But unfortunately, the Patriots won't be in it. But we, I think both of us, we agree on this. We got to vote. We got to go for the guy that was on the Patriots. We got to go Jimmy Garoppolo here. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just looking at Pro Bowl viewership because I, uh, I was curious. Okay, so actually... It is the the viewership has declined over the last couple of years. Last year it peaked at ninety eight point two million. The year before that was one hundred and three million. Uh, the year before that was like one hundred and twelve ish million. I think if my math is correct. Any idea how many people watch the Pro Bowl? No. Eight point nine million. So no one. Uh, <laughs> that being said, the Pro Bowl sucks, and I think that pretty much wraps up the episode. Yeah. So. If you guys did enjoy this episode, please do leave a rating, leave a comment on whatever platform you're listening on. Let us know if you like the show, what you like about it, what you don't like, what you think we could change, recommendations, compliments, whatever. We'll take any of it. Follow us on our social medias. I'll leave that up to you, Nicholas. Yeah, and I just want to, again, reiterate, please let us know what you think of the show. I, I want to kind of applaud. This was a very, like, news-heavy episode, I feel like. Yeah. Like, it was just like we were reading sports headlines. And, you know, sometimes it's just the way we goes, uh, or the way a week it goes when so much stuff comes out that we had. I feel like we had so many different things to talk about. Yeah. 
If you want to keep up with us on social media, we got the Instagram at Brady Bros Boston. We got the YouTube at Brady Bros with a couple of videos uh, out on there now. We're working on some stuff. Well, always working on some stuff. Uh, working on getting more videos there. It's tough again now that we're separated. It's kind of, it's just like more time consuming and you have to put more thought kind of as, instead of just like spur the moment stuff. That being said, if you want to follow us on Twitter, I am at Brady Bros Nick. James is at James B underscore Boston. Again, thank you all so much for listening. We really do appreciate it, and we will see you next week. See ya.